Welcome to The New Deal with Jared Bauman. We're back again with a very special guest. Uh, I have here with me Ariana. She is a rising junior at Emory University uh, from Skokie, Illinois. Uh, some interesting places throughout history uh, that, that have gone on in that city there, but uh, I, I guess there's better things to know it for. Um, but she's here with us today to, to talk about some issues that I've thought were really important, especially over the past few weeks when we've seen so much unrest in this country. Uh, so many people questioning what does it mean to be an American, what does it mean to live in the United States, to be a part of this community, uh, how does it pertain to race relations, um, you know, interreligious struggles, uh, and, and really what is the national identity that we're all shooting for. And I think on a week like this, uh, especially around our Independence Day and uh, a day that, you know, th throughout history has really meant a lot of different things to a lot of different people, but at the end has always meant that we're all Americans and we all value our independence and our capacity for free thought and the freedom that we're afforded, ideally all of us, by society, although of course we know that in many ways uh, that hasn't always been the case. Um, you know, really what does it mean to, to be talking to each other, uh, not just across each other and over each other's heads, but really together across the political divide. And that's why I wanted Ariana on the radio show uh, this week above any She's a really unique perspective uh, on politics, on religion, on different issues that our society has been grappling with. Uh, it's a perspective that is so unique that I don't think I've encountered anybody uh, that has you know, said and really thought about the things in the way that Ariana has. Uh, so I think this will be a really fascinating experience for all of us. Um, it certainly was for me, you know, getting to know her a few weeks ago over the phone. And, and that's why I just said, you know, we, we have to be able to do this and, and talk through these things. Uh, because more than anything, Ariana is somebody that has thought through these issues, um, that approaches this with compassion and uh, with the sort of even-mindedness that is really hard to find, uh, especially because so much of politics these days is governed by emotion and people's emotional reactions. And she's thought through these issues and really come up with her own opinions that aren't always the same as her family and her community. Uh, and you know, and she struggled and experienced the, the certain um, divisions that we have in our society because of that. And, and I think because she's thought through these things so independently and so compassionately, uh, she's a wonderful example of somebody that doesn't fit into the stereotypes that either side has for the other and can really help us bridge those divides and um, you know, let us know what a true independent thinker is like. Uh, so Ariana, I, I hope I, that wasn't too much of a uh, of a introduction there, um, but I, I think you'll even exceed those expectations. Uh, so welcome to the show. Well, I'm very flattered by the very warm introduction, and I'm truly honored to be on your podcast today. So thank you again. It's my pleasure. I've wanted to do this for a while, so uh, I'm, I'm glad it worked out. So you know, I guess I hinted at it at the introduction there, but um, you know, your your political beliefs are unique, uh, especially coming from from where you're from in Illinois, uh, and and certain things with your family background and, and your community. So if you wanted to start off talking about that a little bit, um, and certainly I can relate to your political journey on some level. So if you just want to give us a, a maybe an overview and maybe some pivotal moments on uh, what led you to think the way you do. Um, 
was how I accepted that without any further contemplation. Um, however, it wasn't until I took journalistic writing in um, high school that really allowed me to um, value and appreciate what authentic journalism is. And I think, unfortunately, in our, I think both sides of the uh, political parties can agree that we've unfortunately really um, deviated um, away from the uh, of uh, this more agenda pushing rather than valuing um, authentic journalistic uh, standards such as having a balance and so that's what really resonated with me when I first took my journalism class um, of just having a balance of both sides because it allowed me to kind of humble myself and made me think wow you know every time I think of conservative party or republican party I think of bigots, racist you know they don't care about minorities they don't care about um, the working class, they are just um, selfish elitist, you know, establishments that primarily consist of um, older white males. And that was my, um, at the time, my perception of the conservative party, anything related to that. Um, but I realized that I was not very informed on um, anything beyond that and what their, their rationale was and why they believe what they believe. And so, um, on one occasion, um, I went to visit my dad in Connecticut, um, and what's interesting about his story is that he is a first-generation um, immigrant from El Salvador, and so he's always inspired me a lot growing up, um, just his work ethic, his uh, his um, his morals, his, um, his strong um, Christian faith, and um, for me, that, that always allowed me to um, look to him as a, a role model in my life, and I'm very grateful for that. Um, but um, at one point, uh, one aspect that we, at the time, was different um, from um, immensely was that we were not on the same political spectrum at all. And so um, one of those nights, I decided to sit down, sit down with him, and I just asked him, I said, I really want to hear your your um, reason on why it is take these stance on these topics like immigration on um, the economy on your perspective of the role of the government um, and your perspective of the Democratic Party and so I because I was so I was I don't think I was really looking for even though I did sit down and want to say that I wanted to hear his perspective I think I already came in with my mind made up and so because of that I experienced a lot of anger and emotion to some of his So sorry, for clarification, so your father was expressing conservative beliefs at this time? Correct. Okay, and you were not because of the environment that you were growing up in in school. All right, and it was an emotional reaction there. No, it's funny. I mean, you say it's, uh, you know, it seems ridiculous and overly emotional and, and, you know, on a level it's, it's good that you, as you said, humility, you know, to admit that people, you know, have, um, you know, different modes of thought in the past that aren't always uh, representative of how they currently think. Uh, but it's amazing that there are so many people nowadays that you, you have a political debate and they start crying because they say language is violence. And uh, that sort of ends the conversation there. And, and they don't admit that that's, you know, perhaps not the best way to engage politically. Yeah, no, I totally agree, and it's kind of, I mean, it's a little bit sad, too, but at that point, you know, I think, I really, I really do believe it goes hand-in-hand, I mean, I, I, I feel like there should be further studies done on this, but 
at that time, um, I was really going through a lot, like, emotionally and, and through my own identity that um, really impacted my perspective on myself, where I be in the world, and I really think that went in hand-in-hand with that, that um, kind of, like, uh, over-visceral, like, reaction to to just conversation into, like, a, you know, opposing um, beliefs, and so... Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so that I, I mean, I was just like, I couldn't even believe what he said, and you know, I was really doing my best to remain calm as, as I could, but um, I didn't let his words like wash away. Like, it, it, it really, like, it took a long time for me, almost like a, in a crockpot. Like, it's it's simmered in, in my mind for quite some time um, throughout that year, actually. And so, as I continued taking journalism, um, I really fell in love with it, and. Um, interviewing people and understanding perspectives um, and my curiosity just kind of started during that, that point of really understanding um, both sides and so that summer I started doing more research on what it is that the, the conservatives, um, conservatives believe and so um, I came across, you know, um, one of uh, political pundits like Ben Shapiro, uh, Stephen Crowder, um, I started looking at different studies, I started looking at different news sources and trying to get a good sense of both sides, what they're saying, what their the languages, and, and that's what I'm very grateful of taking journalism is because I feel like it's that background really provided me a more uh, uh, discernment on the different tactics that both, um, that the mainstream media uses and how, how much it, um, again, just completely... Uh, deteriorated from what true journalism needs to stand for. Um, yeah, I have to give you credit for that. I think you're probably the only person to uh, learn anything about journalism and come away thinking more critically about the world uh, rather than less. Because if you see some of the stuff that the New York Times and CNN have been putting out, uh, you know, not even over the past four years, but even just in the past two weeks, uh, with some of the egregious lies and just misinformation that's been happening. Um, you know, one thing I wanted to get into a little bit later, uh, we had had an interesting talk about the lockdowns with this coronavirus uh, in your state, in my state, and across the country. But one thing that I think was so egregious was what the media was doing uh, about the lockdowns and sort of this, you know, we have to lock down perpetually camp of thought is saying that uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma, oh, um, you know, breaking news, terrible outbreaks of COVID-19 in Tulsa after the Trump rally. Uh, Meanwhile, they're publishing articles that are saying that the uh, riots and mass protests that we saw over the past two weeks had nothing to do with the uh, current spike in cases. And it's just so dishonest, the double standard that they hold. Uh, so, so I would suspect that you're the only person to learn anything about journalism and actually have the right takeaway about information and rather than doing what they're doing. So that's a, you earn respect for that. Oh yeah, well I, I, I definitely cannot take all the credit. I had a wonderful um, journalism teacher, uh, Mr. Dean Bradshaw, he actually won a uh, journalism award, I think, uh, teaching award. Oh wow. Um, but yeah, shout out to Mr. Bradshaw, who is somehow is listening to this, but um, yeah, it's,
actually go and read the article the, of the report itself, you find out that only one of the two were, were laboratory confirmed as positive for COVID-19 and the other was they just had symptoms so they concluded. Mm. It, they, they said that as verbatim, like, they could, uh, that possible COVID symptoms, like, grant, um, Yeah, I mean, you see that with, like, uh, New York City. I mean, even the New York Times graph will admit this when it talks about the cases and deaths. Somewhere in April, there's this massive spike, and it's not even a, you know, it's not a graph, a linear spike, but rather the graph just jumps from one day to another. And the note says, you know, New York City reclassified uh, its uh, COVID diagnosis system, so anyone that died and was considered to have maybe had it was classified as having had it even if there was no laboratory evidence for it. So I think you're onto something here. But um, I wanted to reflect back on something you were talking about in your political journey, and then we'll move on to your spiritual journey, because I think that's also fascinating, and it also speaks to your capacity as an independent thinker. But I really want to isolate what the issue is when it comes to, uh, and, and I guess there's no better word for it other than indoctrinating our youth into thinking certain things. Because, you know, you, you presented this image, and it's this powerful image that really reflects a lot of what's been happening with the discourse in our society, where you have, you know, you, uh, a high school student, uh, you know, young, idealistic, wants to join the world of politics and journalism, and you're thinking about all these grand ideas, and that's great. And you're having this conversation with your father, who you said served in the military, right? Oh, yes, he Your father who served in the military, uh, who's a man of deep faith, uh, but who's also an immigrant from El Salvador. And he's expressing beliefs that you've been taught, whether it's through the media, or your educators, or your friends, or anything else, uh, that he should not be expressing as somebody who's an immigrant, um, you know, as somebody who comes from the background that he does. But meanwhile, he's expressing these conservative beliefs, and you're just so shocked as this young, idealistic, you know, child, essentially, in the world that we're growing up in, that there's no reaction other than to just basically have this emotional outburst of tears, that I can't believe this person uh, that I love and trust would say something so abjectly disgusting. And I just want to know where that comes from. Is that something that the media teaches you? Is that something that your teachers teach you? Uh, you said Mr. Bradshaw in journalism really helped you overcome a lot of that. Um, but, but where does that fall on? Where is the onus for all of this coming from? I have no idea. Like in 
looking at um, our world today through that lens. And even though that there is a lot to be commended for, a lot to um, a lot of practices that um, are very um, benevolent and, and um, should be taken um, and applied to today. There's so many um, impactful leaders such as MLK Jr. And, um, but unfortunately, I think we've taken it, we've overexhausted it so much that we've um, our, our own generation and our desire to make the world a better place and that desire for change that we, we start um, almost overanalyzing our, our world and, and our events around us and uh, almost um, try to look for things that aren't there in order to um, to be that hero, to be those the civil rights leaders of the 60s for today. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Um, I I, th- I think you you nailed you, you nailed it really because you know you're right. We learned so much about the heroes of the civil rights movements in school, and uh, you know correctly so that these people are um, you know you know the, presented as the heroes that they are uh, for overcoming the injustices of their era. But I think because of that, there's this sort of infatuation, uh, especially amongst young people today who live lives of. Um, you know, really unprecedented comfort, you know, uh, objectively speaking, even though it doesn't always feel like that because of the discourse, we live in the most prosperous, the most peaceful, um, the most free time in history for, for any humans, essentially, ever. Uh, and that's pretty much an objective fact. But because of that comfort, there's this sort of um, malaise that falls on people where they feel guilty for living their lives of comfort. And maybe it's not uh, you know, a conscious decision. It, it, may, it might be subconscious entirely. But because we're taught about the struggles that people overcame in the past, there's a sort of fantasy that people want to feel that they're also living those lives. So they can also feel heroic and not just complacent in their comfort, uh, especially when they feel that they didn't earn it, if it was their parents' hard work or their grandparents' hard work uh, or something going back generations. So they take a struggle that was a very real struggle, like the civil rights movement in the 50s and 60s and 70s, uh, and try to apply it to every little thing about our society to today with the same vigor, and it doesn't always uh, translate well. So you get a, a point now where people are trying to defend rioting and looting, um, rioting and looting that has affected the African American community and other minority communities more than anybody else in this country, and they have to defend that because they want to feel like they're heroically fighting for civil rights even though the landscape is absolutely not the same as what uh, Dr. King and, and other sorts of leaders were, were working against. Um, I, I think that's really interesting, and I think that's such a great point. Um, what I wanted to talk about, too, because you mentioned the Jewish community, uh, it is your spiritual journey, and that's such a unique thing about you, um, and that's something that really is compelling to me uh, as somebody that values independent thought and really thinking beyond the confines of what you're taught when you grow up. So if you can maybe take us down that route a little bit and explain, you know, where you're at now, where you came from, what were some pivotal moments in that, and, uh, you know, if you don't mind, maybe how that affected some of your interpersonal relationships, um, because it really connects to this idea of intolerance that we've been talking about in our discourse today. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I, my political beliefs are, were, and still are strongly influenced by my religious beliefs. And so, growing up, um, I was raised conservative, uh, under conservative Judaism, which, um, uh, for those who aren't really familiar, it's, it's really the kind of middle bridge between Reform and, and Orthodox, the very traditional, more uh, zealous um, group. And so, so yeah, um, that was, um, that honestly impacted a, a great deal for me, um, 
degrees, but um, when I came to college, um, that was something that I really desired to grow more into. Um, you know, I signed up for the social meal plan. I made um, a to myself that I would uh, continue to be pleasant to the Jewish community. Um, and um, I mentioned earlier that my dad, even though he's Christian, he always um, really respected my um, my Jewish roots and my, and my Jewish faith. And so we we would have conversations about that before. But um, like I said, I think my mindset, I really wasn't um, as present as probably I should have been in, in those discussions. Um, but um, yeah, so when I was in um, my first year, freshman uh, year of college at Emory, um, one um, one of the one of the greatest pleasures I think, and the best thing about college is you meet so many different people, you meet so many different perspectives, and so many different um, cultures and, and beliefs. And so, um, one of my my good friends now, um, one of my close friends, um, Jonathan, that I got to meet. Um, the first or second week of school, and so um, when we first started talking um, to each other, we, we quickly discovered that we were both very uh, passionate to grow in our own faith, and so he was a, he was a devout Christian, and um, you know, I was um, at that time very strongly um, desiring to grow more into my Jewish faith, and so um, I had, the idea popped into my head to actually start um, some sort of interfaith Bible study, and so I had my a giant art school series Tanakh, um, Torah, and uh, so we would meet once a week um, in the dining hall, and so I would read a, 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 pas- um, a passage of, from the Old Testament, the, um, the five books of Moses, um, usually it would be the part of the weekly Torah um, portion for, the, for that week, and then the other week, um, Jonathan would read a um, passage from the New Testament and gave me a copy of his old Bible, and um, what was incredible about that is that um, a lot of uh, conceptions um, that I had about Christianity were quickly dissolved during our discussions, um, because I realized that I was very ignorant and not really learning, um, not really understanding of what the beliefs were for Christianity, and what, and because growing up Jewish, that is a very taboo subject of, um, having discussions of who Jesus is and, and why or why not he is not the, the Messiah um, those questions that were never raised in Peter's school and um, that was something that was not, never encouraged um, so I had to keep any curiosities to myself for the most part um, with the exception of having access to my dad um, that, that was my first interaction but meeting someone my age um, like Johnson was, was very new to me so I felt he was more accessible to ask these sort of questions so um, it was during those discussions and, and it kind of goes back to my point overall of just the lost art of discussion lost art of balance of, of presenting both views and, and um, truly um, trying to reconcile, reconcile your own beliefs um, that um, I was until I got my um, to Emory that I hadn't really been able to practice that fully and so during those times, I um, I just started. I kept asking so many questions, throwing so many questions at him. But um, what was amazing about that was that every question I had that um, of who God is, who the Messiah is, all the prophecies from the Old Testament, he would always back it up and support it with uh, 
I think that's such a great way of, of phrasing it. You know, um, is it possible, could it be possible that what I was taught growing up is not the case? And you mentioned the lost art of discussion and um, the, the sort of open-minded discussions you had with your friend Jonathan that it, it, this is in a religious context, but it applies to everything. It could be politics. It's really any sort of ideology or, or identity system that you have. Uh, people, I think these days, more so than you know, any time in, in recent memory, just cling on to what they were taught when they grew up and, and just refuse to accept that it's possible that they're, they're not right in everything, that their parents aren't right, their teachers aren't right, their community leaders aren't right. And it takes a lot of courage. And uh, again, going back to what you said before, it takes a lot of humility to be able to say, you know what, maybe I'm not right about this. So let me think critically. Uh, and that's absolutely something that you did. And I think whether it's religion or politics or, or anything that people cling to, that's such an important part of a functioning society to be able to question your beliefs and be open-minded enough to admit that you might be wrong and uh, that, that you might have to reevaluate some things. And that's something that not a lot of people do. What was it about Christianity, whether it was your discussions with your friend uh, or your discussions with your father, that made you question what you were taught growing up in conservative Judaism and that really brought you uh, into that belief system? That's Maimonides yeah. for people that aren't familiar with the uh, Rambam terminology.
I think he does a good job of um, kind of in, in capturing this um, in, in um, different examples. And um, but, but yeah, to go back to my point, so I, I remember there was one um, case of um, discussion of how um, Christianity is um, completely dismissing the Old Testament and that you're disregarding all the 613 commandments that were written there. And so, <laughs> um, being the naive person I was, I think I said something like that very confidently, like, oh, well, you know, that can't possibly be that, um, that Jesus is the Messiah and, and that he came to, to um, dismantle all the traditional Judaism because, you know, we have our rules, like, this, this, that can't, that can't change God's word eternal, and, you know, that's what it, it's written right here, and so, we pulled out um, Jeremiah chapter 31, 33, and um, I'm, I'm paraphrasing this, but it says um, that I'm creating a new way, that I'm um, I'm making a new covenant, not like the one before, and um, and it, it's just like so beautifully written because it, it says something, I believe it also says that the law will be written on your heart, and that, that blew my mind, but I, I remember that specifically, that I think was like the peak of my spiritual journey of like, whoa, um, and um, just understanding what it what it means for um, like differentiating, distinguishing between Christians who claim to be Christians and those who really demonstrate those stories and and um, bring them in the New Testament of what it means to embody the love of God into that sacrificial love that is demonstrated throughout the not only the Old Testament but even more so in the New Testament. Um, and so that. And, that into, and then um, just during our conversation too, that, that intimacy of that personal relationship with God, that really, I think, struck with me more, more mm. so than anything, because that was something I was um, aspiring to my whole life, and um, why I always tried, um, I just always strive to cling uh, closer and, and observe more of the, the commandments, but I mean, absolutely impossible to fulfill all those, because um, there's a, over, I think, anywhere from 70 to 100 that specifically um, are for a, a temple, and we no longer have a temple. And so then, then there's a matter of, well, what do we do now? How do we reconcile that? And so unfortunately what we see now in, in Judaism today and contemporary Judaism is that um, we've turned to the rabbinical leaders in our community, and, and they've become almost the new prophets, the new Word of God creating these new rules and, and adding these legalistic traditions that take away from the heart of what the Torah stands for, of loving the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. So, um, yeah, I would say those two instances really drew me to do more research, to do, to desire that intimacy, um, that, that personal intimacy with, with, uh, with the Lord, and um, that really allowed me to understand that believing in, in Jesus isn't uh, devaluing my, my Jewish roots. If anything, it's, it's enhancing more. It makes it more 
Yeah, no, I think that's such a great point, um, and it really connects to what you know we've been saying this whole time. Where if you can't have those conversations where you ask those meaningful questions that might have surprising answers, you're kind of stuck in this rut of how you've been thinking, uh, and and that might not be the best thing for you. And you know, asking those critical questions and reaching the conclusions that you did, you ended up being more confident in your identity than before. I just wanted to ask the the verse you quoted. You said it was Jeremiah chapter thirty one. I believe so. Yeah. Okay, so. And, and Ariana, I, I cannot make this up, but I have a in my bookshelf over here um, by where the recording studio that I've set up is, um, I have a Bible there for these sorts of things. So I went, when you said that, I went to go open it up and try to find the verse. And I opened it to the exact verse that you said, <laughs> just randomly. Yeah, Jeremiah 31. Um, you know, it talks about, a, yeah, a, I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel, with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they break, although I was husband to them, said the Lord, but this shall be the covenant that I'll make with the house of Israel. Um, I will put my law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts and will be their God and they shall be my people. And uh, that, I mean, that's just, that's the page I randomly opened it to. So, uh, you know, if that, that means anything, make of that what you will. Um, but, but I think what you've really highlighted is this thing that a lot of people have been saying uh, more and more um, on both the right and on the left, and it's that this sort of progressivism that we've seen that permeates through social media particularly, and, you know, you've seen the same Instagram stories that I've seen, I'm, I'm sure, as a college student, and all these sorts of things. It, it is almost like a new religion. Uh, in fact, I'd go so far to say it is a religion, and the sort of um, intolerant, surprised reactions that, you know, I remember getting, uh, going to a Jewish day school, asking my teachers, you know, basically what you said before, why is God a plural term, um, throughout the Bible? Why, what does this make us in our image? Why is it not just me? Uh, what are these sort of theological questions that maybe don't make that much sense to rabbinical Judaism that might have answers that are surprising to us? Uh, the, the sort of reactions that I got, which is, you know what, uh, it's better to not ask that question, or there's really no answer for you, but here's this sort of tangential thing, or yeah, you know, you shouldn't really be saying that, um, or if you bring in something that a non-Jewish thinker said to say, oh, you know, you can't really include that in your work here, um, it's, it's, it's outside of the realm of what we consider acceptable. That sort of reaction is the same thing that people get when they question the dogmas that we're seeing on Instagram, on Twitter, uh, on MSNBC, on CNN. If you start asking questions, uh, people immediately, you know, they cancel you, which is, I would say, the modern equivalent of, um, you know, it's not as bad as the auto defaced during the Spanish Inquisition and whatnot, but it is sort of this thing where we will not let you get hired by companies. You can get fired. Uh, you'll have to resign. You'll have to apologize. We'll boycott your small business. Uh, we'll just cancel you as an individual because you don't fit into this box that we expect you to fit into. And it's asking those questions, whether it's in you know actual religion or this political progressive religion that we're seeing, it's, it's asking those questions is the only way that we're going to get out of this rut of society that we're in right now. Uh, but it takes a lot of courage and humility in order to do that. Um, and, and obviously that's why it's so impressive that you did that, not only when it comes to politics, but also when it comes to religion. Uh, and I think that's one of the only ways to really be able to say that, you know, you or anybody is a true independent thinker. Um, and, and to me, at least, it, it, it lends more credence to everything you say. 
because the fact that you are willing to question these things that you've been taught as a child uh, at, at great expense to yourself, whether it's with your family relationships or with your friends uh, or just the community at large, uh, it really brings more credibility to the points you're making because you can trust that you've thought about these things independently and, and you just haven't subscribed blindly to the dogmas that you were taught. I think you're, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Um, and as we kind of round up um, our time here, and you know, I want to be respectful of your time and all these things, there were just two more topics I wanted to touch on. Um, the first is something that I know is very near and dear to you, um, and it also is to me, and it certainly relates to the 
uh, sort of bandwagon groupthink that you've been mentioning because it's something that I've seen populating social media feeds. Uh, and it's all this talk about Israel and, you know, Israel being an apartheid state, Israel being this terrible white settle, settler uh, colonial thing that oppresses uh, people of color and Palestinians and all these sorts of things. Um, so if you can, you know, maybe just give a, a quick overview on your relationship to Israel, how that fits into your faith, how that fits into your worldview, and um, maybe certain things you've experienced where people really use that as one of these bandwagon talking points to try to discredit um, your worldview and the way you think about things and, and really smear it as something that it's not. Yeah, so um, obviously being Jewish definitely impacts um, that whether, you know, Jewish people are acknowledged or not, like we do have a connection to Israel and whether or not we want to accept it as our home, like we are always welcome there and whether, again, like our relationship to Israel is at our own discussion, but um, for me, I've always had that, that, that love for Israel and so um, just this past December, I was on birth rate, and um, getting to be there, I mean, that's, um, I, I usually am not a fan of using anecdotes and then that kind of experience of, uh, to drive home a point, but I think it's very easy for, for us in general to discuss things from very, from a very logical, rational standpoint without actually um, taking the time to consider and, and actually experience it for, for yourself. And so, um, but for me, um, in my own political journey, that I always did have a heart for Israel. And, um, you know, it is, there's a lot of lies within uh, the media, which is unfortunate, of uh, slandering against Israel. And, you know, especially within, like, uh, global institutions like the World Health Organization, they play a big role in that. Um, but if, again, like, if you remove that, that analytical perspective of taking the time to step back and really look at the information there, you'll, you'll discover that not only is Israel the only democracy in the Middle East, but they provide so many rights for its citizens, whether they are Israelis or Palestinians or um, Kurds, that they have, um, that they are, uh, or sorry, I didn't mean to say Kurds, they're uh, the Bedouins, uh, that they have... Um, but Israel also does a lot of work with the Kurds that uh, even the United States won't do. Right, yeah. And um, it's just really a matter of doing your own um, research for that, like looking at the, the, the policy there, the data there. And it's just very sad that um, I think, a, and I think a lot of people that they have a lot of good intentions, but unfortunately what they see is like they see these videos of, you know, IDF soldiers that are taken completely out of context that they, again, that, that emotional manipulation that the media loves to use that um, plays a big role in, in that, that animosity towards Israel. And so, like, for me, that, that was, a, like, that honestly, Israel was a big connection that I had in my political and my spiritual journey as well, but primarily my, uh, my political journey was that I support Israel, but if, um, you know, I, I, I was very well aware that the Democratic Party was more sympathetic with a um, Palestinian state, and, and I was very convicted by that. Um, and but, I, but in my head, I, I figured I couldn't go over to the Conservative Party because they were full of bigots, and, and that was another one that I, I thought was that anti-Semitism was a big role on the Conservative Party, when in reality, yeah, I mean, it's the people like uh, AOC and Ilhan Omar that are retweeting known anti-Semites, people like Linda Sarsour, given platforms. Uh, they even had Linda Sarsour come to campus uh, my freshman year, 
and uh, there, there are very few people speaking out against it. I mean, it was really only me. Even our Hillel and our pro-Israel groups were afraid to speak out against that because of the connotations. And, and these were, by and large, progressive people at our Hillel um, and our you know, uh, pro-Israel groups. So they didn't want to speak out against Linda Sarsour because she was such a, a progressive hero. It's amazing with this whole Israel thing. It's it's so easy. It, it's it's really not hard to realize that it's such a um, like it's it's this art of distraction that people are are incorporating when they when they go after Israel because you know it's like it's kind of what we were talking about earlier where people that are affluent they're comfortable they look for things that can make them feel like the new civil rights heroes because they want to feel like they're making an impact and that's all well and good but you can tell when it's dishonest because they go after Israel which has some of the highest human rights in the world, um, particularly compared to the other countries in the region. Um, the thought experiment I always like to do is, you know, if you're a, a LGBT person and you live in Israel, you have full rights. Um, you know, they have obviously controversies over marriage um, in that country, and that's something that you know I hope they can uh, overcome in the future. And I know a lot of Israelis feel the same way too. But if you're an LGBT person in Palestine or in what would be a Palestinian country, uh, those rights are non-existent and they execute uh, gay people in Gaza and uh, in places in the West Bank that are more traditional. And that's something that would certainly be characteristic of a Palestinian state that is not and never has been characteristic of uh, Israel. And that's one of those things that I think it's such a disingenuous thing to go after Israel as a human rights violator when the countries that they're supporting at Israel's expense are ones that violate them even more. Particularly also relating to China and the situation with the uh, Uyghur Muslims that are in concentration camps. You have millions of Muslims in China that are being sent to concentration camps to be re-educated as members of the Chinese Communist Party. And there's essentially radio silence from the left and from progressive media outlets but meanwhile, they want to go after Israel for things like annexation, which uh, didn't even happen to the extent that people were uh, saying that it would. Yeah, um, I totally agree. Um, and I think, again, it, it really does. Um, I think it really uh, is a result of the media taking a transition from um, a platform that used to hold um, government leaders accountable and people 
empower being accountable to um, you are no longer capable or competent of making your own uh, finding your own information and showing it for yourself. So we need to tell you what your reality is and what the facts are. But in reality, it's, it's uh, become this political agenda, pushing agenda um, platform, and it's been bought out by the establishment. That they're just again, it's, it's almost a regression to this sort of yellow journalism, this sensationalism that of just uh, either put, pushing agenda and or just uh, driving up those numbers of uh, views and stirring up conflict. Absolutely. Um, my last question here, and then I want you to talk a minute about some of your projects that you're working on. So uh, the viewers, that, um, as, as they should be, that are uh, impressed with what you've been saying and, and your thoughtfulness can, can go and explore more and hear from you more in the future. Um, but my last question before we get to that has to do with this intolerance um, that you know, people are experiencing, particularly in college campuses, but also in the media and social media, uh, generally speaking. Um, it's particularly egregious there. Are there any instances of progressive intolerance that you faced, um, whether it's on campus at a place like Emory, that's you know one of those um, you know well-regarded but very uh, liberal, progressive private schools? Uh, is it one of those things that, especially as we see the world being divided into you know white versus people of color, which is the new um, progressive way of dividing the world? Uh, is it something that you know, as somebody that's a, a direct descendant of um, immigrants from Latin America, is that something that has been confusing that you've experienced, where people try to invalidate your opinions because you don't fit into the box that they want you to? Uh, yes, I have. <laughs> um, so much of them from my own family members, and some have also been from my fellow that 
Yeah. that's such a great way to put it and um I, I think that's why it's so interesting that you're from skokie illinois where you know famously the aclu defended the right of nazis of neo-nazis to march there and um it really shows how far we've come of course i don't support nazis and anything about their ideology but the thinking of that time was you know what we we should put these people on display so that people can make up their own minds and say obviously this is an evil repugnant ideology and we reject it uh, whereas now the ACLU, you know, said nothing about civil rights during the lockdowns. They said nothing about the right to go to a church or to synagogue uh, or to mosque or, or wherever you want to go to your religious institutions to live your lives free of government intervention. Um, but then immediately as it comes to any time a conservative or even slightly right of center people uh, want to speak out, the ACLU comes out against them. Uh, and that's certainly not what the American Civil Liberties Union was ever about. And I think your example is, is so interesting because, you know, as you said, you're Hispanic, you're Jewish, um, you are a woman, obviously, and you're the president of College Republicans, which in all other you know parts of society, people would say that's such a wonderful, impressive thing that a descendant of immigrants... Um, somebody who's from several minority groups and a woman can can be in this position of power. And then you invite Heather McDonald, who's obviously a very accomplished, very well-read, um, also you know woman who's in a position of power, which is something that progressive groups have said that they want more of. But then to say that both of you guys, even though you're minorities and you're females and you're people that have been historically discriminated against, you actually are more hateful than they are, if, even if they're a white person that is, say, that is just progressive, uh, because you don't subscribe to the dogmas and the groupthink. And, and that's such a reversal from where you know, we, we thought we were supposed to be going as a society. Value and, and 
said for, for there are wonderful um, eloquent uh, speakers out there on the conservative side that, that happen to be women and minorities that are always um, discriminating and written off by the left as um, bought out by, you know, the Republican Party and, you know, that they're not true, um, that they start to question their minority, um, uh, you know, defense, and it, it really shows their agenda and, I mean, uh, what I believe is it shows their, their true colors um, mm. when they say things like that. And um, what I hope that the other conservatives and the Republican Party in general will continue to do is um, maintain that um, that uh, higher class and, and um, just continuing to demonstrate that um, stability that the left fails to, to acknowledge when they pull, attempt to... Um, implement ad hominem attacks like that, um, that the, they will continue to um, further speak out against the, the crowd and, and uh, continue to articulate their thoughts because that's so valuable and so um, important for us to society that if we lose that, then we lose any hope for solutions or reconciliation to our problems today. Absolutely. Um, all right, Ariana. Well, well, thank you for for this. This was you know fantastic. It's eye opening. It's always great to hear these perspectives, um, especially when people deviate from what's expected of them, of society, and of the dogmas that we've been seeing. Uh, for people that are listening to this and as, are as uh, impressed with your courage and, and your humility um, and your thoughtfulness as, as I was, uh, what are some places that we can hear more from you? with Ari. Well, well, thank you for being with us today. Um, this was really a pleasure. I'm glad we got to do this, uh, and I hope to hear from you soon. Yeah, thank you for having me again. All right, thank you all for joining us today. Ariana was a wonderful guest. I hope you guys enjoyed uh, the time that we spent talking to her as much as I did. Uh, feel free and, and be sure to go check out Coffee with Ari on her various platforms, whether it's YouTube or WordPress, um, social media, all these different places. She's a lot of interesting things to say, uh, a lot more interesting takes on our current landscape, whether it's religious or political or really anything um, than we even got to touch upon today. So be sure to do that. Uh, again, thank you for being here with us. Um, I just you know, want to say that it, this is such a, a wonderful platform because it gives me the opportunity to talk to people that are from all across the political spectrum and have all these different thoughts on um, what's been going on and 
you know, there are certain perspectives that we really don't get these days anymore because uh, if you're on a college campus or if you're just, you know, someone who's young and you have social media and you see all these different uh, discussions that we've been having, the, the narrative is just if someone doesn't agree with the progressive mainstream, they're automatically racist, homophobic, transphobic, bigoted, whatever you want to say. And whether it's, you know, Hillary Clinton saying half the country is a basket of deplorables or Joe Biden saying 15% of the country is uh, just not good people or Joe Biden saying that if uh, you're African-American and you don't support him, then, quote, you ain't black. Uh, no matter what it is, there are people that are going to seek to discredit you if you don't fit into what the, the mainstream, uh, you know, considered PC opinion is. And that's something that, you know, has always bothered me as somebody that knows that, you know, I'm not racist, I don't have any hateful ideologies, uh, and yet still get slandered as these things. Um, but you don't need to take it from me to see how bad it is because, you know, I understand that I'm not always the most sympathetic figure, but someone like Ariana uh, and a lot of other people out there that it's really hard to point at them and say, oh, you know, they're this, uh, this bastion of hostility or of ignorance because uh, you you heard how thoughtful she was and, and how compassionate and how she thought through all these things. So uh, I just want to thank you all for joining us on that. And uh, be sure to look out for more content like this because uh, we'll be doing more as time progresses. So uh, thank you. Have a good day, everybody. Uh, and God bless. Thank you very much.